Uh, This Thanksgiving season is also often a stewardship season because uh, two reasons really. One is that our stewardship and our giving is and should be a function of our gratitude and our thankfulness that our giving is out of love and gratitude to a God who has been so gracious to us. Uh, But the other reason that it falls at this time of the year is that we run a calendar fiscal year and we just finished the new budget and we mailed it to you Friday. And so if you didn't get it yesterday, then you should get it on Monday or Tuesday. You'll see that there's a general budget and the global outreach budget in there uh, for 2017. Our global outreach is our missions budget. We ask people to pray over and to consider giving to the missions budget over and above their offering or their tithe to the general fund. And so those will come into your mailbox and it asks you to prayerfully think about next year. Uh, and, and to take into consideration how God might lead you to support the worship and work of our church. Um, so we come to the Scripture this morning, and uh, we're in Mark chapter 12. A passage uh, where we come near to Jesus and, uh, and allow Him to stretch our thinking about giving. Whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, uh, Jesus, you know Him, is going to stretch us wherever we are. And I think as we come near to Him this morning in this passage, I would encourage you to try to hear it with fresh ears um, and to become one of the disciples. He's going to bring His disciples with Him into the temple. And try to imagine being one of those disciples and hearing what Jesus is saying trying to understand the message that He is giving to His disciples in these moments. I would just say this too, if you're visiting with us this morning and uh, it's your first time, that kind of a thing as we're preaching on money, one of the things I usually like to say, uh, not an apology, but an explanation is to say, we don't talk about money all the time. Um, But, because Jesus talks about money, we don't neglect it either. And so on some regular basis, to be faithful to Jesus in the Scriptures, we do talk about it. Because Jesus talked about it. So hear then the Word of God and the words of Jesus in Mark 12, starting in verse 41. It says that He sat down opposite the treasury in the temple and He watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, let us come with You into the temple. Into this place of worship. And let us sit at Your feet as You speak to us about the heart of giving. That our hearts may be shaped and our lives obedient to Your heart. For we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever... uh, Go people watching. You know, go, go plant yourself in the mall on a bench, buy a cup of coffee and sit and watch the world go by. 
You go do that now around Christmas time. You have plenty of, you know, fodder for uh, for watching. I don't know what you think about. There's, you know, uh, you know, you wonder where people are going and what they're doing. You know, you see families, you see, you know, you see, you know, and they can't help making some judgments or some thoughts, you know, about you know these people or those people and what they're doing. Like we sit and we watch the park or wherever it is. Uh, it's common pastime for, for many of us, but apparently Jesus did it too. Um, although He did it in church, in, uh, in the temple. Uh, he liked to do it during the offering, apparently. Because uh, He brought His disciples with Him, it says, and he, they went into the temple, and He went and He sat down in the treasury opposite, verse 41, He sat down opposite the treasury and He watched the people putting their money into the offering box. Which is a fascinating thing, as he sits there, he sits down and says, opposite the treasury, apparently, to get a good view. So he could see all that was going down, literally, into these offering boxes. And he sat watching the people, and specifically, he was watching how much they gave. Because when he makes comment, that's exactly what he makes comment about. So, he's, so he literally goes in where he can get a good view, and he gets a good view, and he starts to watch exactly what people are giving. You and I might consider that impolite. Right? That's impolite. Just imagine we passed the plate a few minutes ago. You know, the guy sitting on the end of the pew after it comes down the row, you know, watches who puts, you know, picks up a check. Imagine Jesus sitting on the end of your pew, you know, and he sets it, he, he's at the end and he sets it on his lap and he picks up the checks that are in there because you can't really see and he unfolds it and he looks at it. You know, and looks back down the pew. Like, you know, any of us did that, that would be impolite. Like, we don't, like, we don't do money like that. Like, we, this is a private. I try not to look, you know, so everybody doesn't feel awkward in their giving. But Jesus doesn't seem to have these kind of qualms about watching this stuff go down. I, I can imagine, because yeah, the word here that says, when he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched, you know, there are word, there's a word in Greek that means like that you, that you saw something. You know, like I was walking past and I saw this going on. No, this is a word, this is a very specific word. It means he sat down and watched, right? That he was looking to see. He was watching to see. The lexicon, when you look up the word in the Greek lexicon, it says to watch, to look on as a spectator. Right? It conveys this idea of inspection. He's watching to see what happens. What people give. So the question is, what is Jesus looking for? Why would He specifically watch to see what people give? And when Jesus does watch people, what does He see? In verse 41, it tells us at some level, at the end of it, after it says He, he planted Himself there and, and was watching, He says, many rich people put in large sums of money. He saw rich people giving, people with some abundance putting money in. It's kind of an open situation here in the temple. And so, it's fairly obvious uh, when you talk about the treasury, apparently it was in the court of women. It was, a, it was a fairly open room. There were some 13 receptacles that they often called trumpets. They were called trumpets because they had um, like, why, you know, like the end of a trumpet come out. And so like this thing where you put money in, it would go down into these metal boxes. And so there's this room full of these trumpet-mouthed boxes and people would come in and give. And so he knew that when some people came in, you can tell whether they were giving a lot or not. You, you know that in those days they didn't have paper money, you know, folding money. Um, they, they didn't have no folding money and they didn't write checks. They know there's no paper involved. It's all metal coins. 
copper and bronze, silver and gold, and they're weighted. Copper and bronze are lighter and the coins tend to be smaller. And gold and silver are heavier metals. And gold, one of the heaviest. And so, there's no folding of the money to obscure the amount as you come in and give it, right? You're, it's all dropping into a metal box. So even if you put your coins into a bag, like the size of your bag as it goes in, we hit the bottom with a, with a definitive thump. You know, or... Uh, you know, depending on how much, or say you didn't put it in and you just kind of threw it in. You, can, you know how it goes down the trumpet mountain, the sound of each individual coin hitting, you know, as it goes in. So when people come in and put in large sums, as Jesus says, or the text says, so God says, so Jesus says, uh, so large sums were put in. And it was obvious to people who were there, because it's hard to do it quietly um, when you put money in that way. In verse 42, then, he goes on to describe the proverbial widow's mite, right? which we hear and have heard so much about. The widow's mite. And, and it says that this widow, verse 42, and a poor widow came. And, and it doesn't, it's not a, which I do think is interesting, and many commentators pick up on it. There, there is that definite article in the Greek, as it is in English, a poor widow. But... But he doesn't use a definite article. He uses the word one. It should say one poor widow came in. And I do think that there is significance in that. I don't know how many poor widows had enough that they were giving it all or how many were coming in. But Jesus definitely singles her out and makes it, in a sense, the uniqueness of the situation. One poor widow came in, he says, and put in two small copper coins which made a penny. Two small copper coins. The Greek is lepta. Two leptas. She put in two leptas, which were very small, tiny. Like our penny is the smallest coin we have. They're like that, even a little smaller. And they're thin. Lepta is a word we get leaf from, and its leaves are thin. So these leptas are small, thin coins. They're the smallest coin that they have available. He explains it with a Latin word, the Greek. He says she put in two Leptas, which make up a quadrans, a Latin word for the whole idea of a, of a penny, which was two leptas. So they're like half pennies. Old English money, they had half pennies. Um, and, and so they were half. But the point is that they were the, the smallest coin in circulation. Right? So they are like our pennies. I find pennies on the ground all the time. You know, you see, if you drop a quarter, you pick it up. If you drop a penny, you don't even, a lot of people apparently, because <laughs> you find them, on, don't, don't bother. Like they're in the parking lot or they're wherever, you know. Um, you know, pennies, they go in an extra thing. I don't even carry them around. You know, I, you know, some people, we roll them and give them in to get real money. You know, give me quarters or something. She puts in these two leptas that make up one penny. The least valuable thing available. And it's important, the details. There are two details here that I think are significant. One is the detail of the smallness of the offering. Uh, it tells us the significance of, the, of Jesus, how small an offering that Jesus praises, that He commends. Right? So the smallness of what Jesus commends. The second is detail is that not only the smallness of it, but there are two coins Right? You know, so we sometimes say you don't have two nickels to rub together. You know, but if you did, you know, would you give one and keep one? You know, I don't know, you or I might, I might want to keep one for breakfast tomorrow. You know, maybe the nickel and those, you know, the inflation wasn't, you can buy more for your nickel, but it's still the lowest 
the penny, she gives them both. She puts them both in. So Jesus is watching. He's watching the rich and the poor, those who have much and those who have little. He's watching them come in and give. And you and I, if you know Jesus at all, He's got an opinion. Right? He speaks to it. He's always got to, you know, let's talk about this. He calls His disciples, verse 43, it says He calls His disciples to Him and He says to them, all right, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they are contributing out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything that she had, all that she had to live on. Two, his, his sermon, his commentary, his message, two sentences, two incisive, dense Sharp sentences to comment on and to bring home and to put in perspective what he sees for his disciples, for their benefit. He wants them to see. He wants them to understand. He, he explains it to them. Right? It says that he calls his disciples as if this is why we're in here. This is why we came in and sat down in the treasury. This teachable moment. In my sovereignty and omniscience, I came, brought you in here to teach you something. And this is the moment. Come here, you guys. I want you to see this. Hendrickson says, one commentator, What this widow did was so important in the eyes of Jesus that He summons His disciples in order to rivet their attention upon it. To teach them about the heart of giving. Right? That's what Jesus is doing. And the first words that He speaks when He calls them to Him, He says, truly I say to you. Now if you've studied the Bible at all, you know that Jesus doesn't say that all the time, but He does say it on some, with some regularity. Uh, he uses that expression. It's a common expression that truly, I say to you, the word truly in the Greek is the word amen. Uh, amen. And sometimes He says truly, truly. You really need to listen up. Amen, amen, I say to you. But if Jesus prefaces what He's about to tell you with an amen, I say to you, is like, listen up. I want you to get this. Truly. I'm telling you this. This poor widow has put in more than all of those others contributing. Now imagine Jesus on your pew again. You put your check in the plate and it goes down the aisle. He's sitting on the end and he puts it down and he opens it up and he looks at it and he looks down at you and he nudges the guy next to him and he shows it to him and starts making comments about it. Right? I want you to learn something here. Right? Did you see what this guy down there gave? Let me, let me tell you something. You know, you're going to learn something from which is what he does, right? He sees the offering. It's a much more open thing, obviously, in this culture. And he points it out to them and says, here's a lesson to be learned here. And he he nudges them and he shows them what the woman gave and what the others gave to teach them something. Important that you get this, Jesus says. What does He want His disciples to see in this poor widow in the emptying of her pockets? What does He want His disciples to understand about those who had so much more than she did in the giving that day? 
Because Jesus is here in the on-the-job training. This is the way He did it with His disciples. He kind of walked around and did life together. And as stuff happened, you know, He took those moments and they were teachable moments. On-the-job training. And here we are in the treasury and all the giving is going on. On this job training, He wants to shape their hearts and shape their minds. They are the foundation of the church. I will lay the foundations on the apostles and these apostles and prophets, and I will build my church. They will do the writing of the New Testament and the rest of the teaching about money and giving throughout the New Testament. As you see Paul picking up on the apostles' teaching as he is one of them, and you can read in in the New Testament. And he says, this is part of the place where these disciples who are the foundation, the apostles of the church, learned the value of giving and of money perspective. And what does He want them to learn? What does He want them to see in verse 43 when He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those. And I don't mean know if He means each of those individually. Like all of them put together. But she's put in more than the rest of them. In other words, He's saying this, in God's economy, which He's given them the perspective of, in God's economy, this widow is more generous, more sacrificial than all the others who are in here given today. He is saying that generosity and liberality in giving as he, as he sees it in this woman's life and lifts it up for everyone else to see and points it out and makes comment on it. He is, he is saying that generosity and liberality in giving are important to God. He says, look at this. Let this sink into your thinking and your hearts. It's important to God. And the size of the gift, he's pointing out, can be very deceiving. Large or small. And he explains that by pointing out in verse 44, explaining that for, because, explaining why she is more, in a sense, generous, and she put more in the box than than the rest of them then, because for they are giving out of their abundance, but she is giving out of her poverty. She's put in everything she's got. In other words, he's pointing out the true cost of giving for people. And in this vast range of people who came in the temple that day and everybody's giving, the true cost of giving is not the same for everyone. That's part of what Jesus is pointing out. It is more costly, it was more costly for the widow to give generously in her worship than it was to others. Comparatively, the rich gave more. But Jesus didn't see anything particularly commendable about it. I mean, it is, in a sense, our duty, our calling, and our command, according to the Old Testament, what we are to do. But in their giving, He didn't see anything particularly commendable. How do we know? Because He doesn't commend it. Why doesn't He? He says, because all of them gave out of their abundance. Her gift, He is saying, is precious to God because she gave out of her poverty. It cost her dearly to give it. Value of the offering cannot be calculated on the size of the offering, but on its cost to us. I encourage you to study the Scriptures and to study this passage for yourself. And 
I believe it stretches me as I think about it and as I preach it. If it weren't Jesus' words, I wouldn't... You know, in our culture, like we say, money's a very private thing and it, and it gets awkward to talk about it at some level. And you know, you can talk about a lot of things at a party, but you don't talk about what each other makes and what you do with your money. Right? It's just, we don't go there. We think it's an utterly private thing. Jesus thinks it's an utterly spiritual thing in a matter of discipleship. And he says that then the cost, the, the important in, in calculating the value of the offering is not on its size per se, but on its cost to the giver. Jesus commends her sacrifice. He commends her heart, her willingness to give her all to God in that moment. Let me be crass and do a little bit of math. It's something that you can do in trying to, I think, pointing out what Jesus is saying. If it's not, then forgive me. But, you know, let's just say somebody makes $300,000 a year. And they tithe on that. And they give thirty grand a year. And then they give an offering above that to the global outreach, which they would love, of, of another thirty. They double their giving. Thirty grand they tithe, and thirty grand is an offering, and they give sixty grand, and thirty of it goes to the global outreach project. And out of their three hundred thousand dollars, they still have almost a quarter of a million dollars left to live on. The cost of living in terms of lifestyle impact, they may hardly notice, they may hardly feel it. But if you make $50,000 a year, more toward the average, 50, 75, Chattanooga, I forget what it is, I think it's toward the 70. But say you made 50000 a year and you tithe 5000 and you give an offering above that, and you're left with 40 and change. It's harder <laughs> to live on 40 and change than a quarter of a million. It's harder. It impacts your life. I mean, whether you take vacations or what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in or you know, whether how many times you can go out to dinner in a month or you know, wh- whether you can do this. Or the- in other words, it's, it impacts the lifestyle of the giver the less down the chain, the food chain, in terms of what we make. There's more cost, self-denial, sacrifice involved. I know that's a crass thing to say, but it seems to be what Jesus is saying. She gave out of her poverty, but they, and it was was in a sense, God notices, Jesus notices and lifts it up, He says, because the others, they gave out of their abundance, and that's a good thing and a right thing, but she gave, and it cost her to give. Not the size of the gift, but the shape of the heart, the real cost, and sacrifice and worship. What I hear Jesus saying is it's not just about what we give, but about what we keep. About what we have left. About our abundance. So let me make six applications of this. Quick applications of this. Six, boy. <clears throat> Ten minutes each. No, no, don't worry. <laughs> six applications. One is that by God's command and instruction, tithing and giving, have always been central to the worship of God's people. Right? We see that scripturally from the earliest pages of Abraham tithing to the high 
priest Melchizedek, you know, to, throughout the law and the history of the Old Testament, and here on the cusp of, of between Old and New Testament, where Jesus takes his, in a sense, New Testament disciples and sits in the Old Testament temple and watches the giving and this 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 transition from teaching his New Testament disciples and preparing them to lead a New Testament church sits them in the Old Testament treasury and temple and teaches them about giving. It has always been central to the worship of God's people. Notice he didn't say to his disciples, see these people coming in here and tithing? You know, forget about it. You know, don't worry about it. If you're from Jersey, if you're from somewhere else, you'd say it different, but you know, he doesn't say forget about it. You know, you know just do what you want. It, you know, that's not the New Testament attitude he's conveying to his disciples. He's, it's some more like if you know when he does a sermon on the mountain, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit murder, but I tell you, don't even hate your brother in your heart. And he goes after the heart. And then he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, and he says, but I tell you, don't even lust in your heart. He goes after the heart. I see him as he sits with his disciples here saying something more like, you have heard that it was said, give a tithe of your income to God. But I tell you, give sacrificially. Give in worship. He's teaching his New Testament disciples about the giving, the giving patterns matter to God as they did in the old and as He expands and goes after the heart in the new. He doesn't abolish it, but He goes after the heart. And He says, giving patterns matter. God notices. I notice. And it should matter to us. So first, it has always been central to the, to the worship of God's people. But second, God not only looks at how much is given, but He looks at the ability of the giver. Right? Number two. Looks at the ability of the giver. Because it reveals our hearts and our motives. Ross says, another commentator, commentator says, a small gift from a narrow income is esteemed as much as a large gift from a vast income. Right? And one of the things that this parable tells us is that everyone is able to give in a way that pleases God. Everyone is able to give something that is pleasing to God. And we shouldn't think that if I have some uh, more humble gift to give, that God will look down on it in some ways. In some ways, God will look down on it and esteem it as highly or more highly than, it, than other gifts because we give in a cost to ourselves and a level of self-denial that, that when I give this, I can't do that. Right? If we didn't tithe, if I didn't tithe, my lifestyle could change. Right? There's, a, there's a cost involved. But not only then are, are, are all of us able to give in a way that pleases God because He judges by the heart and the ability of the giver, not by the size of the amount. That's not what impresses Him per se. But it also reminds us on the other side of that, as He goes after the heart, He reminds us what is true from Luke 12 where Jesus says, everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. He points out that the poor woman outgave the rich. And I believe at some level that is to stretch and to challenge those whom God has blessed with more of an abundance out of which to give, to be stretched and challenged by the generosity and the sacrifice of those who have left but who faithfully give. So not only is it central to God's worship and 
It doesn't look just at how much is given and that all of us can give according to our ability, but the third is giving should be an act of worship. Her giving, what Jesus is pointing out in this woman, is her worship. Right? It was an act of worship that she was engaged in. When we pause and take the offering, we're not hitting the pause button in our worship and then we'll pick back up later. It, it, it sits in the center of our worship service as it has always sat in the center of God's people's lives from the very first day, as far as I can tell, and through the Scripture. That it's an act of worship and her giving manifested her love of God over her love of her money. How else do you do that? How else do you do that? She gave all that she had to God. So there's a sense in which she was simply doing with her money what she was already doing with her heart. Manifesting her love and her worship. The value that she placed on God and His kingdom and His worth. This poor woman did not come into the temple calculating percentages. Right? She's, this isn't her thinking. You don't see it in there. She didn't pause and, you know. She wasn't calculating percentages. She was worshiping. She was expressing her devotion and her worship to God. In the same way that the lady, who, a woman who breaks the alabaster thing of perfume and pours it out on Jesus. I want, like there are, there are those times of, that worship is extravagant. She wanted to give. She's a living embodiment of 2 Corinthians 9 that God loves a cheerful giver. I think that's what Jesus is pointing out here. See this cheerful giver? Right? Here's a woman who, who's not counting, she's not counting her pennies, she's giving them. Our giving should be an act of worship, it should be sacrificial. The widow, to be able to give all, had an element of self denial in her giving. She put in, the text says, as you read it, and Jesus stretches it out. It says more here almost in, any, in the rest of what she said. She gave out of her poverty. She's put in everything she had. All, three, three different ways. All she had to live on. Right? So he emphasizes this whole thing. And he says, so that she, she put in as much as she had, all she had to live on. It literally in the Greek says her whole bios. Bios is one of the Greek words for life. There's... Zoe, which is eternal life and spiritual life. But bios is where we get biology, the study of life. It's her whole you know, material life. It says that she gave as much as she had, her whole bios, her whole life she gave. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus points out that most people give out of their abundance out of their wealth. And it's simply the comment that he makes. Many folks put it in and he says, for they all contributed out of it. And that's the way most people give. We give out of our abundance. We're Americans. We give out of our abundance. Most of us. At some level. We give, he says, he points out, out of our abundance. In, in the NIV, they translate it out of their wealth. In the NAS, I think he goes to the point that Jesus is making. The New American Standard translated out of their surplus. And it does strike the point there. They gave what they didn't need. What they wouldn't miss. What would have little or no impact on living. Remember in 2 Samuel when David wants to give an offering and make sacrifice and he, needs to, he wants to do it on a threshing floor and he needs an auction and the guy figures out he's the king and he offers to give it to David. 
to give him what he needed to make sacrifice. And David's like, nah. <laughs> I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer a burnt offering to Yahweh, who is my God, that which cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and he bought the oxen and he makes sacrifice. The Savior commends self-denying, sacrificial, worshipful, cheerful giving. And let me just point then, she gives generously. We should give generously because it's a matter of the heart. And this goes again to the heart. It's not the outward appearance. And so often, this is the way we do church. It's the way we do our spiritual lives in so many different ways. We, as God says, tend to look at the outside where God looks at the inside. And so we always think bigger is better. We always think that way, don't we? Right? We, we don't always look for quality. We look for quantity. And so we would look at, if we were looking, we would tend to judge by appearance. Wow, he gave how much? <laughs> you know, that's impressive. We would judge by the outward. But generosity goes beyond the size of the gift. The biggest gift is not always the largest gift. It's possible to give a lot and still not be generous. And it's possible to give very little and be extraordinarily generous as this woman demonstrates. So let me close by saying then, last application is to give. We need to give sacrificially and generously. And to do that, it has to be an act of faith for two reasons. It has to be an act of faith because when we give generously, we have to trust that God will take care of us. This poor woman put herself, in a sense, at the mercy of God. She trusted Him. I'll bet if she put it in there, she would say, thus He has met my needs so far. I trust Him and He'll meet my needs for tomorrow. Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew 6? You know, the birds, they neither sow nor spin. Everybody else is all worried about what they'll eat and what they'll drink, you know. But they don't have a Father that cares for them. You have a Father that cares for you. Don't worry about these things. Don't be anxious about these things. God says, I am your Father and I will care for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and I will add all these other things to you. She has to trust that God is going to add. She, as she seeks first the kingdom of God in the worship of her heart and the giving of her worldly goods. She has to believe that God will take care of those things. To stretch our giving to the level where we feel it, we must believe in God's provision that we will be okay. Second reason it calls for faith is simply this. We have to believe that Christ and His kingdom are more valuable and more satisfying than money, mammon, and anything else it can buy in this life. That's the perspective the Scripture gives over and over again. Why would this poor widow give her whole bios? All that she had at that time, in that moment, why would she give it as an offering? How can anyone do such a thing? What is it that must be ruling, reigning in your heart and in your mind to give it all? Why would anyone give life-impacting amounts of money to God? And the only answer is if you valued something even more. She had a greater love in her life. And that's what we see in the text. She had a greater love in her life. And that is where where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Our hearts and our treasure follow the same track, the Scripture says in so many ways. 
where our treasure is, some of our resources will follow. You know how the police do investigations as often or not. You watch a show on TV or wherever else. And they, what do they say? They say, follow the money. You'll find a culprit. Follow the money. I believe the Scripture is telling us again and again that if we follow the money, we will find our true love. Because where your money is, it's where your heart is. Follow the money. The widow had discovered what Jesus said in Luke 12. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. She was free with her money because she found a greater abundance, satisfaction, and love in her life. She was living out the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. When I survey the cross, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Would have believed with all of her soul, with all of her life, with her all. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word which is living and true. Oh, we would be disciples sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from you your perspective, what you see, what you think, what you want from us and who we are. We would be laid bare before the One with whom we have to do. The One before whom we will give an account. Oh, come near and teach us to love You and to worship You and to serve You and to sacrifice and to give in ways that bring honor and glory to Your name and show You to be the most satisfying and valuable thing on this planet in life and beyond. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.